grab your Bible and open up to John's Gospel. John's Gospel. That's Big John. Somebody said, which John? Big John's. You got the Gospel of John, then you got 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, but the Gospel of John tonight, chapter number 3, and we're going to continue in our series about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start at John chapter 3 tonight, and we're going to look at verse number 1. Here it goes. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus answered and he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, that unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Lord, thank you for your word tonight, and I pray that you would take it, make it simple to us, and help us to see, hear, and understand clearly what you desire to give to us tonight from your word. We ask it in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, good evening, everybody, and I hope that you are enjoying, as Cameron said tonight, this beautiful fall football weather. Amen. And uh, enjoying that and enjoyed the sprinklings of rain we had today and the showers we had on Monday. But uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about a different kind of rain. I want to talk to you about the rain of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, and we are going to be here for a little while. So make sure that you make yourself comfortable, you get you a notebook or something to write with, and you just camp out with us. On week number one, we talked about um, just who is the Holy Spirit. And we looked from Genesis chapter one, creation, how the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and he was their instrumental. He's the divine spark of life. He was the breath of life. And the Bible says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. We talked about God's sustaining power. We talked about his involvement in creation, his deity. The Holy Spirit is not just a force or a feeling. He's a person, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the divine triune Godhead, otherwise known as we refer to as the Holy Trinity. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about the nature of the Holy Spirit and talked a little bit about that and uh, just really breached this, uh, uh, broached the subject of that. This week, though, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, as we begin to go down this road, um, I want you to know that as it relates to you and I, there are really three main areas that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. Three things, three levels of relationship in the life of a believer. And the first one is related to like this, and that is being born of the Spirit. Would you say that with me? Being born of the Spirit. 
believers, when we are saved, when we come to Christ, we are born of the Spirit. Then the second work of the Spirit in, li- in most people's lives is to be filled with the Spirit. We would call that to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. And then there's this third level and that all believers should be striving to get to, and that is to be led by the Spirit. The book of Romans says those that, that uh, are the children of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. And we should be being led by the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. Do you know the Holy Spirit's activity in the life of a believer is not limited to a church service? It's not limited to what happens around an altar. It's not limited to what happens on the tail end or the beginning or the center of a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit's involvement in the life of a believer is in their everyday lives. But how many people, they, they go through this progression, you know, they get saved, they're born of the Spirit, but they never go on to get baptized in the Spirit. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of people who have been in a Spirit-filled environment for a very long time. I know people who've been in Pentecostal churches for 20 years, and they've never taken hold of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But listen, it doesn't have to be so. Um, My prayer is, is that you grab a hold of this teaching and you say, Jesus, if you died and you sent your spirit to the earth and you gave the Holy Spirit as a gift to us, I want everything that you have for me. And I'm believing that if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, that you can be. You can be tonight. You can be right now. But I'm believing that by the revelation knowledge of God's word, that it would come alive to you. Because listen, God wants his people to be baptized by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. In fact, in the book of Acts, to be a low-level servant leader in the church, which was a deacon, a table waiter, the qualifications there even were you had to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. And so listen, you need to be baptized in the Spirit. Then there's that third level, which, which is part of the everyday life, which is being led by the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of Christians who are led by a spirit, their carnal spirit, uh, the flesh, and their emotions. But how many of you know we're not supposed to be led by our emotions? Emotions are, are great servants, but terrible masters. And uh, our emotions will have us doing things that are out of character and all of those things. And, um, you know, emotions are good but not unrestrained and not outside of the control of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. So we need to learn to be led by the Spirit. What if I told you tonight your life would look a lot different It was if it was totally controlled by the Holy Spirit? And so we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But tonight, specifically, I want to look at the work of the Spirit, specifically in salvation, being born of the Spirit. You know, we talk a lot about being saved, salvation. But in all reality, what does that really mean? And what does it look like? And how does that transcend into everyday life? Do people truly understand what it means to be saved? For a lot of people, when you say salvation, they think of a get-out-of-hell-free card. Amen? Anybody remember the game Monopoly? You know how you get the get-out-of-jail-free card? A lot of people think that salvation is just simply a 
get out of hell free card, which I'm thankful that salvation includes deliverance from eternal torment. I don't know about you. That's pretty exciting right there. That ought to send every Christian into a shouting fit because you can tell the devil, nana, nana, boo, boo, I'm not going to hell, but you are. Amen. I'm excited about deliverance and being set free from eternal torment, but is salvation really more than that? Some people equate salvation with the cry your eyes out experience. But is it really more than that? It truly is. Salvation is about a personal relationship with the living God and a life-changing encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel is powerful. So many people, though, what happens? They boast about how many pray to prayer or how many people fill out a card. And I'm not belittling any of those things, but the truth is, is that Jesus never told us to go into all the world and make converts. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples. Those who would pick up their cross and follow, follow him. And those that would follow him would receive this experience that he calls being born again. You see, tonight as we're looking at the context of John chapter 3, turn over there with me. And... I want you to uh, see, some, see some things with me that I think will be important. In John's gospel, chapter number three, first of all, the context of one of the most famous Bible passages is nestled right here in John chapter three. In fact, if, uh, if you grew up in church at all, it's very probable that you know this scripture. In fact, we could not put it on the screen tonight, and I would surmise that 90% of people in the room probably could quote it by heart. And it's John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the scripture about salvation, but this particular scripture is nestled in this passage of a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the nighttime hour. I want to look at it again in John chapter 3, verse 1, and let's read it together. The Bible says, there was a man of a who? Pharisee. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were the lawyers, the law keepers. They were familiar with the Old Testament, all of its writings, all of its prohibitions, ins and outs. Nicodemus would have known all of this. He was a man of the Pharisees. Notice this, a ruler of the Jews. So you've got to understand Nicodemus wasn't just some low level on the totem pole person. This was a person of notoriety. This was a person who, who stood to have his reputation ruined if people found out that he was going to Jesus, which by the way, was hated by most of the religious crowd in that day. And so Nicodemus, what happened? The Bible says in verse number two, notice he came to Jesus by night. Anybody want to guess why? Because he wanted to fly under the radar, not get caught by everybody. And I want you to notice what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Now, we've got to stop right there because the Jewish people, for the most part, obviously rejected Jesus as the Messiah. 
But even Nicodemus was smart enough to recognize that Jesus was a respected rabbi. Now, what you need to come to to know tonight is that the term rabbi in Jewish culture was not one that was given away easily. In other words, Jesus was qualified in the eyes of the Jewish leaders to be called rabbi. It was a term of of esteem. He had passed all of their litany, all of their scrutiny, all of their testing. And so he comes to him and he actually is very respectful. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God because nobody can do these signs unless God is with them. So Jesus' ministry The supernatural, the healings, the miracles, the deliverances, they intrigued Nicodemus to the point of inspiring a conversation. He gets out of his comfort zone, and he goes and he finds Jesus, and he begins to talk to him. And notice what Jesus said in verse 3, and Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's a statement in and of itself. But Nicodemus is not thinking with his heart or his spirit. He's thinking with his carnal mind. We know that because verse 4 gives us this this insane response. Let's look at it on on the screen. John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? And how can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how old Nicodemus was, but we know because of his rank and ruling, his stature, he was um, at least in his mid-30s or early 40s. Nicodemus was essentially saying, listen, man, I am a middle-aged guy, and uh, I'm not as small as I used to be. And so what's this born-again business? I, I can't go back into the birth canal of my mother and slide down and here I am a second time. He said, that's not possible. And then Jesus begins to explain to him exactly what he meant. Verse 5, and Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, stop, stop right there and go back with me to verse 5. I want you to notice what Jesus said. He says, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, that unless one is born of the water, somebody say water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I mean, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, and, and you will not be shamed for the answer, but I want to ask you a question. Those of you in this room who grew up in church, how many of you were ever taught that to be born of the water was water baptism? Anybody? Maybe just one, two, three. Okay, maybe if you were a Church of Christ persuasion, United Pentecostal persuasion. People that attach baptism to salvation a lot of times use this verse as a, as a pretext to, uh, to try to prove the point that water baptism is necessary for salvation. But I'm about to prove to you that that's not what Jesus meant. See, the Bible should always interpret the Bible. Amen? Because the thief on the cross got to go to be with Jesus in paradise, and he never took a dip in the Jordan River. Hello, somebody. 
So what we need to understand is that he wasn't talking about water here, but notice Jesus is in the context of talking about being born again. Somebody say natural birth. Let me ask you ladies something. That, that moment when you know there is no turning back in your pregnancy. I remember like it was yesterday. Aaron's 15 years old now. Looks like yesterday. We were youth pastoring in Duncan, Oklahoma, and it was the middle of the night, and she slaps me. She says, hey, get up. I said, what? She said, my water broke. I said, you're what, huh? It was the point of no return. When a woman is in labor, that last little stage, when that sack busts, it's called when the water breaks. The water in this passage is speaking of natural birth. That's why Jesus is saying you're born once, then you got to be born twice. Look at what he says in the next verse. In verse number 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is making an analogy. Verse 5, verse 6, they go together. He said that which is born you, uh, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh, which would be water, is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But then notice what he says in the very next verse. He says, or, or in the next part there, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, um, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Verse seven, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born, say it with me, again. He's talking about something that we call the new birth. The new birth. The salvation experience is being born of the Spirit. Then look what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So tonight, I want to take some things here, and I want to look at something. If you're taking notes and uh, you're writing them down, I want you to see this. Write a number one on your paper. You can write this down. You, you, we see, looking at this text, we see the drawing of the Spirit. In verse number one, in verse number two, the Bible says that there was the man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night saying, Rabbi, you know, we know that you're a teacher of God. Nobody can do these things unless God is with you. How many of you know there was something drawing Nicodemus? There was something drawing him. I'm going to tell you what was drawing Nicodemus. What was drawing Nicodemus was the drawing of the Holy Spirit. See, I'm going to share something with you tonight that many of us, maybe we've not looked at it real hard, but the old timers really used to preach this. I've, I've not really heard anybody preach this in a long time because we have so much easy believism in the church today. It's just peekaboo with Jesus and, you know, roses and, 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 and rainbows. But I want you to notice John chapter 6, verse 44. Here's what Jesus said. Are you ready? He said, no one. Somebody say, no one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to salvation. Listen, I got news for somebody. You cannot get saved whenever you decide to get saved. We, uh, we didn't find the Lord. Hello, he's not lost. I found Jesus. No, you didn't. He's been in the same place forever. He found us. Paul said it like this. We love him, we, I love him because he first loved me. No man can come unto the Father who's, unless, no man can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Listen, friend, this is why it is so dangerous for somebody to be in a service or to be in a situation or a scenario where they're under the conviction power of the Holy Spirit and God is drawing them for them to say no to Jesus in that moment is dangerous. I'm going to tell you why. Because the Hebrews writer said it like this. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15. He says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. The Bible says it like this. There are people whom the Lord is wooing. And yet they say, no, not today. Not today. He almost persuaded me to be a Christian. But how many of you know, when the Lord is knocking on the door, that's the time to open up. Because that feeling may not be there tomorrow. Scripture says, I won't strive with man forever. No man can come to the Father, to the Son, unless the Father draws him. And we know by Scripture, the Father draws by the power of the Holy Spirit. We read it last week. When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. What sin? That they did not believe in me. Jesus convicts the world, the Holy Spirit rather, convicts the world of the sin of unbelief. And so we, we see here in this passage that Nicodemus is being drawn to Christ. And I want you to notice, number two, Jesus' statement. We see this in verse number three. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Tonight we're talking about the, the work of the Spirit, right? We're talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What's that mean? People, people want to argue semantics here because the Bible uses the terminology kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And people say, well, this, they're not the same. They are the same. I don't have time for all that. Listen, I'm telling you, where God is, that's where his kingdom is. Hello. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Here's what Jesus said. If you want to see the kingdom, you must be born again. You can't get in it because you're good. You can't get in it because you give to charity. You can't get into it because you're a philanthropist and you've left $3 billion in your will. You can't get in it because you found the cure to cancer. You can't get in it because you did this and you did that. The only way you see the kingdom of God is to be born again. And how do you get born again? When the Spirit draws you and you receive Jesus and you're born of the Spirit. That's how we get into the kingdom of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Then look at Nicodemus. And we're just breaking this passage down. 
Number three, we see Nicodemus' question. He sounds so logistic, doesn't he? Not using his spiritual mind. And the same thing is key today. You can't naturally explain a spiritual experience. You know what the Bible actually says? The Bible says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. Listen, I, I'm a very simple-minded person. And I've lived in rural areas for the most part of my life. There's been a couple of seasons where we lived in a city, but for the most of, of it, we've lived in rural areas where there's cows and goats and sheep and pigs and, you know, whatever else. And, and uh, my, my stepdad, you know, we grew up when uh, my mom got remarried, they had cows and, you know, we had to bale hay and things like that. And, you know, it's interesting that you take a black and white or a brown cow and that black and white or brown cow can eat green grass and puts out white milk and turns into yellow butter and produce red meat. I don't understand how any of that works, but it works. How many of you know it works? I don't understand how it works. But we look at the spiritual side of things and say, well, how can a person be saved? How can God take a sinner who has done X and Y and Z, the most inhumane things that you possibly can ever imagine? See, we, we like to think of who God can save and who he can't save. But you know there's only one unforgivable sin in the Bible? And we're going to talk about that in several weeks down the road. But there is one sin that's unforgivable, and it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, you, you want to know, well, have I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You haven't. Because if you did, you'd be so far gone, you wouldn't even care about it. The Holy Spirit's not even dealing with you anymore. It's not something that can be done in ignorance. It's something that is done purposefully or willfully. So you can't accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit like that. So you think about there's only one thing that's unforgivable. So you take all of the sin of the world and you categorize it to carnality and, and, and sensualness and, and all of these things. And uh, we see all of this stuff and we ask ourselves the question, how can a person be saved? We talked about it on Sunday night, didn't we? We talked about how the red blood of Jesus can fall on the black heart of a sinner and make it white as snow. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new, right? Nicodemus is saying, how can this happen? And Jesus says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Friends, listen to me. Salvation is a supernatural experience. It's a supernatural experience. But here's what I know. When a person encounters the living Christ, they will be changed. They will be changed. I didn't say they'd be perfect instantly, but they will be changed. You see, it's impossible to grab a hold to electricity and not be changed. It's impossible 
to stand out in the middle of the highway and get ran over by a semi-truck and not be changed. So how come people think they can come to church and get under preaching and give their life to Christ and not be changed? Jesus will change people's lives. And he's telling Nicodemus, listen, you were born of the flesh once, but now you need to be born of the Spirit. Salvation is a completely supernatural experience. Then number four, we see it in our text. Jesus gives the key in verse 5 through verse 7. Look at this. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Number four, we see Jesus giving the key. Nicodemus, here's what happens. You must be born again. There's the natural birth, and then there's the spiritual birth. And then Jesus connects the Spirit to salvation. Now, I mentioned this a little bit last week because terminology gets a little muddy sometimes in Scripture. Now, I want you to know something that there is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, three unique, distinct persons, one God, not three gods, one God in three persons. God the Father, we see him in creation. We see the Son in redemption. We see the Spirit in empowerment. But these three, they are one. The Scripture goes on to say there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Spirit, and they are one. But listen to this. We're going to learn about this a little bit next week. There is a difference, a stark difference between being born of the Spirit and being baptized or filled with the Spirit. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible records the disciples in the upper room. And they're there at the day of Pentecost. And they're the feast of harvest. And they're, they're all together one place and one accord. And they're praying, waiting on the promise of the Father. Because in Luke's gospel, the very last chapter, Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and to tarry and to wait until they received the promise of the Father. And what happened, these people who were already following Jesus received the infilling or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. You see, salvation happens and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. I made this reference last week. And it really, the terminology that we use is not always biblical. But we don't need to get hung up on semantics. Tonight, my, my hope is not to confuse you. My hope is not to make you stumble over words. But the phraseology asking Jesus into my heart is not found in Scripture. Find it. It's not there. But when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, what we're experiencing is the regeneration of the Spirit. That's when the Spirit renews us 
And listen, we learned last week that it is the Spirit that makes Jesus real to us. In fact, if you want to be real, just real plain about it, even though they're distinct persons, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So yes, it's semantics, but the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us at salvation. Look at me. Even Presbyterian people, even Baptist people, even people that don't speak in tongues. Now, lest you stone me, I didn't say they were baptized in the Spirit, but they've been regenerated by the Spirit. And do we really think that when a person gets saved, two-thirds of the Godhead come into their life and one-third waits till later? Come on now. That doesn't make sense to anybody. That's not even good theology. Let me give you a scripture tonight. Are you ready? Here's the first work of the Spirit. By the way, Paul's right there. The book of Hebrews says, um, by this time, many of you ought to be teachers by now. But now we have to go back and revisit the elementary teachings of Christ. And he says, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. But he uses the phraseology in Hebrews, baptisms, plural. Most people, when they think of baptism, they only think of water. But that's wrong. Because there are several baptisms. And I can teach you about those later. But I'm about to show you one right now. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Look at this. And you can read it in context later. Here's what Paul says. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. Here's what happens. When a person comes to Christ, are you ready? The Bible says they are in the kingdom of darkness. Listen, you don't have to be a Satanist to be a part of the kingdom of darkness. You just have to be lost. Before we knew Jesus, we were not in the light. It doesn't matter who your, grand, your grandpappy could be Smith Wigglesworth. It doesn't matter. Before you came to Christ personally, we were in darkness. And Colossians says he's translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Here is salvation. Salvation is when the Holy Spirit picks you up and takes you and plunges you into the body of Christ. By one spirit, we were all immersed or submerged or, or baptized into. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, one body. We've all been made to drink into one spirit. So listen, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit said, Lonnie, Pat, Mary, Brenda, you're in the kingdom of darkness. I'm picking you up, and I'm putting you in the kingdom of light. That's, that's good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm address changing you from one place to another. But what I'm trying to get you to see right here is that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin. He draws men to repentance. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. That the spirit activity doesn't start in a person's life when they speak in tongues. That's an empowerment of the spirit, and it's the initial evidence of such. But what we see is that the spirit's involvement 
in our lives actually starts before salvation, drawing us to Christ. And then the Spirit baptizes us into the body. It's powerful. Now, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our life? Well, transformation. Transformation. I didn't say perfection. I said transformation. So look at this. Paul writes to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is long-suffering, is kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is what I'm trying to say. When, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit begins to work the fruits of the Spirit in their life. And I don't know if you've ever planted a tree. But most of the time when you plant something, you don't immediately get full-grown fruit. It's got to grow. And I'm going to give you another piece of revelation and insight. Most stuff doesn't grow correctly without fertilizer. Anybody have any idea how you get peace? You got to go through something first. Anybody know how you get self-control? Listen, you don't know you have self-control until you're put in a situation where it's proven. How do you, how do you know when there's gentleness in your life when you've had the opportunity to fly off the handle? See, love is developed in our life. Joy is developed. And when Jesus moves in, and the old man is put away, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being planted in us are these characteristics. Now, we'll, we'll talk about these in great detail later. But see, when we're baptized into the Spirit, then Paul begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. See, you got fruits and you have gifts. You have fruit and you have gifts. He didn't say you have fruit and nuts. Hello. Fruits and gifts. And they go together. But tonight, what am I trying to tell us? I'm trying to tell us simply that the work of the Spirit in our life begins at salvation. He draws us to Christ. He convicts us of sin. He begins to change us from the inside out and draws us to Christ. Jesus said you simply just have to be born again. It's an experience that's not natural. You can't figure it out with your mind. And, and, and so tonight we understand that the Holy Spirit takes us at conversion and puts us into the body of Christ. And we're part of the family of God. You know, when a person gets saved, and I'm done, you know, when a person gets saved, they can have no family, no mom, no dad, no brothers, no sisters, orphaned. And when they get saved, the Spirit baptizes them into the body. And then now they're a part of the family of God. Saved, cleansed, perfect. You say, well, yeah, but they're still a little rough around the edges. Well, you were too. Some of you still are. But thank God for the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. Listen, I'm not dead yet, not physically. 
You're not dead yet. So you know what that means? That means the fruit of the Spirit should be still working in your life. You should be a little happier today than you were yesterday. You should be a little bit more patient tomorrow than you were today. You should be a little bit more kind and gentle the weeks down the road than you were weeks prior. Why? Because we're growing in our walk with Christ. All of that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen? Hallelujah. You can close your